0: marketing and public relations, hispanicmpr.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is playwright David Gonzalez, DA. Today we will discuss his work and reaching Latino audiences. David is a storyteller, musician, poet, actor, therapist, and educator. He was nominated for a 2006 Drama Desk Award for Unique Theatrical Experience for his production of The Frog Bride at Broadway's New Victory Theater. He has created numerous productions including Sofrito. In 1998, he received the Helen Hayes Performing Artist of the Year Award. David also wrote The Secret of the Saba Tree. He recently completed Rise for Freedom, a libretto commissioned by the Cincinnati Opera for their 2007 season. David also is responsible for Mariel, an Afro-Cuban musical co-written with Grammy-nominated songwriter John Forster that is set in the turbulent times of the Mariel Boatlift from Cuba in in 1981. Mariel was winner of the Macy's New Play Prize for Young Audiences and was commissioned by the Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park. It premiered in March of 2007. David's poetry has been featured on Bill Moyer's documentary Fooling with Words, featured on PBS and NPR's All Things Considered. He was the host of New York Kids on WNYC for eight seasons and is a contributor to Studio 360 on NPR. David received his doctorate in music therapy from New York University's School of Education. And his most recent accomplishment, in 2006 he climbed to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. David, welcome.
1: Hey, thank you. Pleasure to be you, Julia.
0: So many things, so little time.
1: Well, my candle has been burning on both sides since I can remember. Um, I guess I was born that way. My mother uh, worked two jobs to put me through college, and um, I just have a lot to live up to, what can I say?
0: And a lot of enthusiasm for life, don't you?
1: Well, yeah, I just uh, I got to hand it to uh, the matriarchy, my grandmother, Guadalupe Echeverría Rosario de Quebradillas y Chalcas, y no sé qué por ahí. no men in my house, and I had these dynamic women who set the bar really high for passion, intelligence, and hard work.
0: Well, you sure have been keeping busy.
1: Well, I feel really lucky to be an artist who can do work that is socially relevant, uh, and that I do, I only, you know, I'm on stage over 200 times a year, I'm writing pieces all the time, but it's always, you know, my ideas, so I'm able to speak from my heart, from my point of view hopefully make contributions in places where there are real needs in the world. A lot of my work, of course, has been focused in um, uh, giving back and inspiring the Latino community. Um, and I know, of course, what your particular interest is with your show, so um, if you'd like, we can talk about some of those projects.
0: I think that would be wonderful. In, I think that a lot of folks think that Latinos only like Latino-oriented themes. But we know, of course, that Latinos have very broad tastes and that they like many things that are not historically considered just for Latinos. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about your experience with that.
1: Well, I'll I'll say, I mean, I think that's very accurate. I mean, I grew up in the Bronx, New York, Puerto Rican family. My father's Cuban, though my parents were divorced. I was not raised with the Cuban culture, so present. That was something I came to later in life. Um, But, you know, like... Like everybody else, it's a it's a melting pot, and so I'm listening to um, uh, Bomba bon Plena in the house, and I'm listening to Trini Lopez, and I'm listening to um, Sinatra, and I'm listening to Michael Jackson, and I'm listening to everything, and the world comes in, and you know, if you, Duke Ellington uh, said there's there's only two kinds of music, good and bad, and every human being recognizes. Uh, qualities of beauty, whether they are uh, culturally specific to where we come from or not. We can we know passion. We know intelligence. We know beauty when we hear it, when we see it. And it has little to do with our cultural background. It has to do with our humanity. And so my upbringing was really eclectic and diverse. Um, and my first love was music, and I got very involved with jazz and blues and rock and roll. I wanted to be Carlos Santana. Um, the guitar and the piano. Um, though you know, as I got uh, more involved with my uh, writing and my performing career, uh, uh, particularly when the generation of my grandmother start start to pass away, um, you know, my grandmother lived, was one of seventeen brothers and sisters, one father, two mothers. Um, he when she passed away at ninety four, I decided that it was. Um, to sort of make a tribute to her and her culture, and at the same time to um, dig in and learn more about what I, where I come from, and, and what I can pass on to my kids and to you know, future generations of, of uh, what I like to call the bicultural Latinos—kids who speak Spanish at home or come out of a Latino root, but are very active in in the sort of multifaceted real world that we all have. So my interests in music and theater are really wide, uh, broad. I mean, I listen to all kinds of music. I go to theater. I love all kinds of contemporary art and dance. Um, Though I try to take the sensibility from all that and focus it into projects that are rooted and addressed to uh, Latino audiences. Um, So, for example, I have a a project called City of Dreams, and it's um, poetry that comes out of uh, Latino identity and has a great, you know, music coming out of the Latin jazz tradition. Um, but it also kind of really moves into uh, a, what I would call a transnational thing, so that, you know, I make references to global issues, to, um, to basic, you know, pan-human problems and so and passions. So for me, it's really Who am I? (laughs) And a great band with Bobby Sanabria, a great Latin percussionist. And the first uh, stanza is, uh, um, you know, it talks about uh, the African slaves coming uh, and landing in the New World, disillusioned, and, and, you know, bringing that stream of culture. Then the next stanza is um, uh, a Spanish. The ride on a boat to the new world who knows where he's going to end up um, and then it continues on and the indians and in, uh, in, in puerto rico and cuba living in their land and celebrating their indigenous beauty and then the influx of all these things the last stands, and the music changes for each one of these but it ends up in the bronx with a hip-hop groove and you know uh, we carry all these this, all these streams of cultural identity within us in our very dna and uh, the question is who am i finally and the answer to me is i'm a human with a diverse background uh with human passions and a rich culture to draw from listen to and to draw energy from Um, so that's kind of an example of being uh, you know kind of widely um aware of my world and participating in it, at the same time really delving into and understanding coming to terms with and celebrating the cultural roots that I spring from.
0: When you start work on any project, really, do you always start from the premise of the Hispanic audience that might be watching it or listening to it, or is this just some of the time?
1: Uh, Well, it depends, because... I do different kinds of projects, but there are certainly a few projects I've done which are specifically where I look at the Latino uh, audience and create works that uh, that would work for them. Um, and I'm also interested in intergenerational artwork, that is, pieces that you, know, you could c- come with your date, come with your wife or your husband, you could come with your parents, or you could bring your kids to. So um, the bad name for this is family uh, theater because that sounds like kind of lame and Disney-like or something. Not that I don't like Disney, but you know I'm trying to make work that really has um, values across the generations. So when I was constructing *Sofrito* with Larry Harlow and, uh, and Yomo Toro and the guys from *Fania All-Stars*, this is ten years ago now. I really uh, looked to create a show that. To cultural roots very specifically, so people who um, were from Puerto Rican, Cuban, Dominican descent, people who loved salsa and uh, the mambo and the cha-cha-cha and all that classic sound, they could come there and say, "Ah, this is my world." And but I wanted to present it in a way that a kid who doesn't really see that in their world these days could find a way to participate in it. And so that a grandfather or grandmother could say, ah, this is my world, and I'm comfortable sharing this with my kids in this new way in public. And at the same time, it's open enough that um, non-Latinos can come to it and say, wow, what a hip, beautiful sound. Listen to those stories and how these people dance and celebrate. There's a joy in it that I want to participate in. But the root of it comes from helping you know, creating a piece that Latinos would see themselves and recognize, participate, be very, very proud of, and let the effect spill out from there. Um, and in that particular piece, sofrito, the intergenerational piece was really important, so that families would come to see the show together. It's been really successful. We're just celebrating our tenth year of tour of show. So, I really. Um, that show particularly looks at who the audience is going to be and how am I best going to connect with those people. So the show has a power, impact, and also longevity.
0: When you talk about Hispanic audiences, David, are you referring to Spanish dominant or English dominant? Or bilingual? Is there a particular group that you focus on?
1: Well, I have to be honest. I mean, my Spanish is really good, but performance level, I mean, I'm not. I think the word bilingual is a very serious word to me. I know someone who is bilingual when I hear them. <laughs> I'm good, but I'm not that good. And being on stage is a very privileged place. So I. I do speak Spanish on stage, though I'm keenly aware that the limitations of my uh, grammar, I'm keenly aware of limitations of my vocabulary. Um, even though I do perform and teach and speak Spanish regularly and somewhat eloquently, I, on the stage, this is a kind of altar. You know? uh, public speaking is a place. I, I, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm going to compromise the language or an audience member's intelligence by making a, a fluff. So I don't perform exclusively in Spanish. So that's an audience that I don't deal with. I'm dealing with generally a biculturated audience. You know, I speak English and Spanish in my performances. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. And the pieces that I'm writing are generally for people who have been in this country, who have a proficiency in English, whose kids might be fluent in English. Um, it's kind of a, uh, I don't know what the, you know, the current terminology is. I use the word biculturated.
0: Does that affect the the work itself?
1: It does because, well, first of all, the languages have certain qualities that you can't, that are undeniable. You know, I never forget when I went to Spain for the first time, and I, um, when I was 21, I went to live there and study guitar, and, um, and uh, they asked me what my name was, and I said, David Gonzalez. They said, what? No, what's your whole name oh, david uh ralph was my, my birth certificate ralph even though my grandfather was rafael it put ralph anyway david ralph gonzalez echevarria ah no it said david rafael gonzalez echevarria and suddenly he said oh my gosh i have a name <laughs> Um, and there's a musicality there's a power and um, and a beauty in the language itself and how the vowels and consonants are pronounced that has soul and so um you know there 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 are compromises that are made of both sides of the coin there um, so gosh I'm not sure if I'm answering your question
0: hey, absolutely i think you're saying that it does play a role in your work when you're specifically targeting a bicultural audience
1: listen you know in some of my poetry there's a time where i just have to be said in spanish um and there's certain experiences which can only be conveyed in spanish i had an experience where uh, one, uh, one of my poems is about when my uncle anibal did a yoruba blessing he was a santero in santiago de cuba he did a yoruba blessing on me when i was a baby and that poem has to be in spanish um, I'll recite it for you briefly if you care. I'll just tell you it's a short little poem. Sure. Uh, the opening stanza is, Tio Aníbal, it is blanco y negro santo, fumando tu tabaco y haciéndome las bendiciones urubá. You can feel that groove, just that, I and mean, that's just the opening stanza, you know. Uh, Tio Aníbal, you are dark and light and faint, giving you uh, your giving me the old Yoruba blessings. But in Spanish, and then when I perform that with my band and you hear the batat drums and you hear the clave sticks and you hear the uh, old
0: Could you tell us a little bit more about Sofrito? What does the name mean oh, and Oh, Sofrito. It about?
1: Yeah, so that was a, as soon as my grandmother passed away, I, I, I started writing Sofrito. Sofrito is the base sauce, your Caribbean listeners will know, in Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and of course in South Florida <laughs> and in the Bronx. A sofrito is the base sauce that is made before the chicken goes in, before the ground beef goes in, before the beans get made. It's um, uh, tomatoes, onions, spices, garlic, cilantro, um, and every grandmother has their own it, truquito, you know, your little touch, and but it's a base sauce, uh, and I use that term for the show because I wanted to create a mixture of sub music and stories, humor, dance, that would be delicious and savory. It's also intergenerational, so there's... Meet these older folks, like the guys from the Fania All Stars. I mean, to perform with Larry Harlow and Yomo Toro, Alberto Santiago. These are elders who are in the Latin Music Hall of Fame. To perform with those guys, to have a you know a generation younger than they are, and then we have some young cats in the band, and to play for kids. We sometimes have four generations in the theater at one time. So sofritos is a mixture. We have stories from Cuba, from Puerto Rico, and from the place I affectionately refer to as. La Republica of the Bronx, uh, and we have music from classic salsa. We have old uh, Afro-Cuban you know, uh, sacred music. We also get down with some funk, some hip-hop and R&B, but with always with a kind of Latin groove thrown into it. There's also a lot of uh, humor, uh, dancing, teach, teach the whole audience how to do a basic mambo, um, and there's just a lot of joy in it. It's a show that... Uh, it's had tremendous success. We, this year, we'll be in, um, out in Costa Mesa, Orange County. We were up in Wyoming. We've toured almost every state, um, and uh, it's a show with a uh, with great beauty. If I can make a quick plug, you can see, if you want to hear some of it, sofrito dot net. There's a little uh, a little taste of it there.
0: How do the audiences respond? Um, both on the Hispanic end and on the non-Hispanic end. What kind of feedback do you get when you have this kind of uh, production?
1: It depends a lot on the particular piece. I mean, some of the pieces I've written are are really joyful, like Sofrito. Some are more on the serious side. Um, Another piece that I wrote is called The Secret of the Ceiba Tree, and that was uh, largely based on going out to uh, interview day laborers and uh, migrant farmers. Uh, I spent two years in Ohio visiting Ohio. Went to since, uh, Cleveland fifteen times in two years in a lot That was interviewing people in churches, out in the fields, community centers, and I, that piece is a kind of a catalog, uh, if you will, or kind of a kaleidoscopic, a suite of poems about the recent immigrant experience. Some of that's pretty hard hitting and so somber. Some of it is joyful and fun. Um, I'll never forget when we premiered that piece at the beautiful Palace Theater in Cleveland Um, the theater had the the foresight to um, to invite the people who we had interviewed and their community
0: So there was a forum where their voices were reaching out
1: That's a poem that was in there. And that one I did one line in English, one line in Spanish, so to make sure that these guys really understood that this was their story and I was communicating it to a whole new audience so people could hear that in a very direct way. Um, so that's a different example. That's like, uh, I will say the opposite from Sofrito, but it's a different quality. That one is you know, quite serious and, um, you know dealing with um, a whole other kind of issue and, and, and reality. Um, so it really depends on the show. It depends on the audience what the takeaway is. I think that one thing that's always there is a sense of pride, belonging, um, a sense that, uh, that the words that are coming from the stage are um, charged with meaning and that are rooted in Latino life. Um, so, yeah.
0: But so in general, do you get Latinos come up to you at the end of a production or somewhere on the street if they if they know that you're behind it, and, and share comments with you? Do you get non-Latinos say, well, this is similar to the experience of my grandparents? What, it, what, if any, feedback have you... Oh,
1: gosh. You know, just yesterday I got an email from somebody. He said, I saw Sofrito four years ago, and now my... Not always that intense, but the stage, for me, is a very privileged place to be. So the kind of response that I get from people is, you know, usually gratitude and wonder. And, uh, and if there's a difficult topic, you know, often good dialogue. Uh, I'm particularly excited. I just this weekend premiered um, Rise for Freedom, the Cincinnati Opera, a piece that I worked on for uh, three years. This was, um, the premiere was on Saturday, A beautiful theater in Cincinnati. <clears throat> it's a full-stage grand opera. It's, it's, it's short, under an hour, but what was significant for me there was the audience. For, for, it's opera for young people, but this night, the, the opening night, was only adults, and it was largely African-American intelligentsia of Cincinnati. Arts patrons, and um, I'm dealing in that show with african American themes, themes of uh, time of slavery, of the Underground Railroad, and stuff like that. <clears throat> and when those people jumped up and gave a standing ovation, I just felt like, I don't know how to tell it to you, but...
0: How exciting.
1: It was, it was thrilling. And not on an ego level, but just I feel like I'm doing the work I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Well, and that brings me to, to my next question, I think. How do you feel, as a Latino, producing work that sometimes reaches Latinos specifically, how do you feel that's different from what your colleagues are doing? Do do you feel that being Latino makes you different in a a critical way?
1: Um, That's a really good question, and I probably would answer it different ways at different times. and that kind of goes back to my early family life, kind of the values uh, in my family, um, which was there was a lot, there was a lot of storytelling. And there was a lot of focus on going to visit people and listening and telling, and what that really does is connection, right? Mm-hmm. Connecting people. And you know, I I I I wouldn't go as far to say that's a unique quality to Latinos. I do know it is prevalent in Latino families. Um, you know the sense of we have to tell each other what's going on, we have to listen to each other, and maybe we're all doing it at the same time, but it has to happen. Um, I grew up with that, and my, my the root of my work, and to accept that that's a Latino quality. Well, then it is rooted to that my uh, cultural identity. Is that I need to connect with great passion, I need to listen. Listen, you know there there are great traditions in theater and performance in every part of the world, and I wouldn't I think it's kind of chauvinistic to think that we we have a purchase on, on that quality of passion and um, well, what's the word vivaciousness, you know. Um, I, I can say one thing about being from the Caribbean, which is that the particular musical rhythms of the Caribbean they are unique and they are powerful and the music that comes out of the Afro-Cuban explosion is very much part of who I am and I try and bring that energy and that is really specific and very unique Um, so in some way that that's a kernel, a kind of uh, inspirational kernel that is, you know, that's only from one place in the world that comes from there
0: David, as we continue down the path of growth for Hispanics. Researchers are telling us that 50% of the growth in the United States in the next five years is going to be Hispanic. Do you anticipate that the interest in works with Latino themes, or that particularly resonate with Latino audiences, is likely to continue do you expect that funding and grants and the viability of the projects is going to continue, or do you think that as Latinos become more acculturated, these interests will fade?
1: I no. I think that uh, this is like streams coming together. The waters will mix. The waters have mixed. It's a long story already, and there are the culture changes. The topography of the landscape changes. I would hope, and that that the grants and the public support for Latino-inspired arts stays at the, you know, matches the level of of this population uh, growth. I don't know that it will, because the, the seats of power and the seats of money are, you know, disproportionate. So that is certainly an issue that we all have to be attentive to, and we have to lobby for. Um, think that um, the waves of immigrants that are coming to America are very proud of where they're from, and they carry their traditions. We carry our traditions forward. Listen, my last contact with you know, my grandmother came to America in 1927, and that's uh, 80 years ago. And I'm still, you know, benefiting from how she cooked and how she spoke and how she danced. And uh, my kids now who are half Latino. When we, we have our parties, I make sure they know how to get down and they'll make sure they know how to eat and they know how to tell a good story. So whoever, you know, we all carry our traditions forward the best way we can. Um, I think that there's going to be uh, a continued influx of great artwork, great performing arts, um, more and more energy coming in. I, I just hope that the um, that the so the lowest common denominator of art making, you know, um, is seen as that, as the lowest common denominator, because there's so many great traditions in Central America and in the Caribbean of high art making, of great intelligence, of great passion and beauty, and we have to recognize those and uh, allow them to have their place. I think that, you know, people who are uh, involved with public relations and marketing, um, you know, my urge would be for Beautiful, things that are truly have passion and intelligence will touch specific cultural groups that they're sprung from, and they'll cross borders because we all, like I said at the beginning of this, we, as human beings, recognize all kinds of beauty. And so, um, I would just say that to be specifically kind of look the lowest common denominator in a cultural experience is not necessarily the smartest way to go. Look for the highest level of beauty, the highest expression of culture. And then those people from that culture will recognize it and it will have a resonance, value across the board to whoever comes in touch with, whether it's a marketing piece or a campaign or whatever it is. It's something um, that all human people, people respond to and it's simply beauty, truth, intelligence, and passion. And so I guess that would be my message for you. Your audience, you know, support the
0: arts. (laughs) Well, and on that note, what exciting projects do you have in the works that you can tell us about that have these elements of beauty? Well, I tell you, I'm
1: working very hard on a few new things. Um, uh, Of course, the opera is running right now in Cincinnati. It's called Rise or Freedom. Um, And tomorrow night, I'm going to the dress rehearsal of Marielle, which is, uh, I think, a really um, beautiful piece of theater. It's it's a kind of Romeo and Juliet story. It starts in Cuba, and they this interracial couple, young interracial couple, end up in Miami uh, during that whole time of Marielle. And it's got brilliant music and a complicated, beautiful plot. And that's a uh, uh, John Forster wrote the music, Grammy nominated writer, songwriter, and I co wrote it with Henry Fonte, a wonderful Cuban American writer and uh, director. That's premiering at the. Uh, University of Hartford. Um, it had a, uh, an initial run in Cincinnati as well. Oh gosh, and I'm writing a suite of poems about the beautiful Hudson River uh, to commemorate Henry Hudson's uh, uh, 400th, uh, the 400th year. I would also just make another plug that cdbaby.com has my albums, uh, the uh, Sofrito album and the um, City of Dreams Poetry. Cdbaby.com is a great uh, resource for. Like we say, palante, you know, little by little.
0: David, you have been exposed to the, the Latino upbringing and inspired by it. You're very involved with the broad spectrum of the arts. And at the same time, you have to keep in mind the bottom line in order to make your projects thrive.
1: Right.
0: What suggestions, what tips would you share with our listeners? who are interested in reaching Latinos, bicultural Latinos, because I understand that's your strong suit. What suggestions would you give to them if they're trying to better understand that market in terms of how they can reach effectively, reach out to those Latinos? What three things, for example, would you recommend?
1: I'll just reiterate what I said before, that um, uh, the highest quality of artistic uh, expression, whether it's in design, um, whether it's in uh, text or narrative, whatever the highest level is, Um, you know, I would just venture to say that uh, people who are biculturated have a huge, huge, huge awareness of the broader world around around us. You know, uh, and I really mean the world. So um, I would just caution folks about being too narrow in cultural focus. at an astronomy site, two clicks I'm looking at a history site, two, and you know, just the world's at our fingertips, and everyone is taking advantage of it. So I would say, I guess in a nutshell, that's about um, kind of respect the innate curiosity and intelligence of all people, all people. Does anybody, I mean, the guy who, um, I have a, a day laborer who comes and cuts my lawn, I talk to this guy, he's got a computer, his hobbies are amazing what he's checking into, especially thirdly um think that, and I don't mean this as a criticism, but some of what I see wants to keep people really kind of closed into a narrow world of cultural legacy and cultural history, too much provincialism in, in communication. I think we kind of shoot ourselves in our foot. I think it would be really important to help uh, to connect to people by knowing where we come from and seeing how that connects to a bigger, more complex world around us. And I'm not a marketer, so I can't be more specific than that. But I hope that helps.
0: I think if I understand correctly, what you're saying is excellence is excellence. And people are going to be able to recognize that wherever they find it.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: I see a lot of marketing efforts centered, for example, around the concept of dance music with a salsa beat. They're trying to reach... Latino communities, particularly in Spanish, of course, there's always sort of a salsa music in the background to the uh-huh. point where it's become ubiquitous. How do you feel about that within your tips? It, it, was I understanding, right, that you were saying maybe too much of that isn't good either?
1: Yeah, I, I just, I would give, uh, you know, I, I suppose, I mean, your market is no better than I do, but I would say that... Um, Know, some of the greatest composers of classical music, some of the greatest jazz artists in the world, um, uh, you know, think of Chucho Valdez, the great Cuban pianist. He's just towering. This is like Mozart alive in our midst. You know, um, it is so. The picture is so much broader and so much more complex. And gosh, imagine a campaign that would, yeah, maybe touch that, but also show, you know, other. Facets of what this musical genius is in the in, in the tradition you say damn these people really oh right that's a lot to be proud of okay it's bailable you know we can dance to it it's funky and cool but whoa this is something else we can be really proud of and identify with which is a you know of a, a very very high level I love salsa don't get me wrong but there's so much else there's so much I was in Cuba recently, a few years ago and um, I was at the um, uh, Palacio Nacional for a concert there. Um, The great Brazilian guitarist Egberto Gismonti was performing and um, uh, the conductor, the great guitarist, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, conducting and the music was, you know, that music was worldly. It was worldly. It was phenomenal. And it was funky it was worldly it was so past the narrow concept of what it means to be latin or have latin music we have to really allow ourselves to accept the tremendous um, intelligence of what it, of the latino tradition and the variety of it it's huge immense powerful significant and um, a lot to be proud of a lot that is compelling a lot that is moving and um, you know, I, I guess I, I would love to see that represented in the world, because I think people would respond to it.
0: Sounds like there are still a lot of opportunities and a lot of avenues for creativity and for new works coming our way.
1: Uh, I hope so, you know. i to got to stay one foot in front of the tax man, that's all.
0: And in the meantime, for our listeners who want to learn a little bit more about your work, they can visit sofrito.net. That's... S O F R I T O dot net.
1: Yeah, that's for that only for that show. You can also uh, uh, get me at David Gonzalez with a Z dot com and uh, uh, emailable through there as well.
0: Thank you, David, for joining us today from NIAC in New York State. And to our audience, thank you for listening to playwright David Gonzalez DA, who discussed his work and reaching Latino audiences brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, hispanicmpr.com, providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the hispanicmpr.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com. For more information on how to reach Hispanics with marketing and public relations tools, visit our resources section at www.HispanicMPR.com. That's www.HispanicMPR.com. Hi, this is Mark Anthony Farad, recording artist, actors, and athletes
1: against drunk driving. Music is one of the most important things in my life, but nothing is more important than life itself. So choose a designated driver. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the Ad Council, U.S. Department of Transportation, National Association of Broadcasters, and RAD.